We're in Revelation. If you have your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look at verse number 14 and following, Revelation chapter 3. And uh, this morning, my sermon title is Sickening the Savior. Sickening the Savior. And so uh, that's where we are this morning. Uh, I, I, I heard a story uh, about a coach <clears throat> that was addressing a football team that had been struggling. I think they would lost three games or something like that. But uh, uh, I heard a story about this coach, and, uh, and, and he went in to address a team that was in the midst of the woes of the season. And, uh, and he went up to the, to the board, and, and he started to write. And he put capital letters. He said, A, P, A, T, H, Y. And the guys were sitting there, and they're, and they're looking up there. And uh, one of the fellows was looking up there. He said, oh, Pathy, oh, what does that mean? And the guy sitting next to him said, I don't know, and I don't really care. <laughs> and he answered it. You know, when you're talking about apathy, or, or when I was in high school, I had a coach uh, at Marion High School, and I, I can't tell you how many sermons I heard over the couple of years that I was in high school that my M on my hat uh, did not stand for mediocrity, uh, but, but, but it meant Mariana, so take pride in it. And, uh, and, and so when you're talking about mediocrity, when you're talking about apathy, uh, what, what, what is that land? What, what is that exactly? And I, I would say what that is, is it's in our lives, it's in our lives, and not limited to any particular area of our life, uh, but, but when we have potential, when we have potential that far exceeds our performance, and we're okay with that, all right? Sometimes we may not be maximum potential, but we're striving for maximum potential. But when I reach a point in my life, when I forget striving for my potential, when I say, man, it's just okay like it is, take it or leave it, this is all I've got for you, that's when apathy has crept in. That's when, when, when lukewarmness spiritually speaking, as a believer, has crept into our life. And that's what this uh, uh, letter is all about. When you're reading through the book of Revelation, and in, in, in Revelation chapter number 2 and in chapter number 3, uh, uh, what we have is we have letters written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so when you're reading these letters to these seven churches, although they were written general uh, letters to specific places, uh, those truths can still be applied to us today as individuals and generally speaking to the church. So when you're looking at the church, some would say that actually these letters, if you're reading through chapter 2 and 3, uh, are, are a panoramic view of the church. In other words, from the time of the apostles till ultimately the apostasy, we have the church being addressed. And so this morning we're looking at the church of Laodicea. The reason for that is because most people believe that it's the church of Laodicea would be the letter that generally speaking would describe the church of, of, of the last days before the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. And so the church at Laodicea would be that church. Now this morning, I would encourage you, because anytime you're reading through uh, these letters, be careful that you're not trying to identify where this might fit historically. What church might this be describing? I would say this morning, invite you, encourage you, exhort you to say, God Almighty, please, I pray that I have a circle around my heart and that you would speak to me because I don't want to make you sick to your stomach. 
I mean, nobody ever got saved. Think about it. When you got saved, think about when you got saved. Do you remember when that happened, when you got born again? I mean, uh, many of us were, were raised in the church. That was my story. I was raised in the church. But, but there was a time when I was 14, man, when the gospel, just uh, the Holy Spirit of God knocked on the door of my heart, and he changed my life. I got born again. I got saved. And uh, there's nobody that when they get saved, nobody gets saved and say, man, I, I just can't wait till I make Jesus sick to his stomach. No, but it happens. I mean, he's writing a letter today, and he says, man, it's, it, this, 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 this makes me sick. And what is it that makes the Savior's stomach sick? Revelation chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 14 and following. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 and following. The Bible says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when you're talking about the characteristics of the church in the last days, the Bible gives us several different characteristics of the church in the last days. What happens to the church? And when we're talking about the church, again, that's a general term with specific application. God, help us to make that connection. But the Bible describes some characteristics like this. For example, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse number 2. And the Bible says this, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and, and, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so he says, here's one of the characteristics of the church in the last days would be doctrinal deviation to leave God's truths for a culturally relevant message, something that's palatable, something that fits into the culture today. Rather than measuring today's culture with God's Word, we take God's Word and measure it by our culture, and as a result, we water it down. And he's saying, hey, doctrinal deviation is a characteristic that takes place in the last days. First Timothy chapter number 4 
uh, a few pages before. First Timothy chapter number four, uh, the Bible says this in verse number one. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, and then it goes on from there. But just talking about, uh, again, devotional indifference, being indifferent to the things of God. And so God, help us, uh, uh, again, with, with, with understanding, uh, where am I? Where do I fit in to, to, to this church? What does it look like in my life? Am I one that's struggling doctrinally? Am I one that's struggling devotionally? Am I one that's become lukewarm in my faith? What does all that mean even? Well, he writes this letter, and in the first verse of this letter, verse number 14, we have an introduction to Jesus Christ, an introduction to Jesus Christ, who he is. And so the Bible says this. In fact, it refers to him in three different ways. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, and then he goes on from there. But just talking about the amen, what does that mean? It means he's the confirmation and completion. That's what amen means, to confirm or to complete. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is. That's who he is. When you're looking at Scripture, when you're looking at the Old Testament, do you know that the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so when you look at the feasts and when you look at the festivals and, and, and when you look at the sacrifices, when you're talking about the Day of Atonement or you're talking about uh, uh, the Passover, we would say that Jesus Christ is the amen. He's the confirmation, the completion of what was in the past. He is the amen. He's the faithful and true witness is how he refers to him secondly. He says he's the faithful and true witness. And when you're talking about Jesus Christ, we're in a land that's desperate for truth. And so when you're talking about Jesus Christ, he is the truth from God to man and the truth from man to God. He is our intercessor. He is truth. In fact, the Bible says it like this. John chapter 14 and verse number 6. The Bible says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is truth. But then it also says that he is the beginning in verse number 14. Uh, the beginning of the creation of God says this. And when you're talking about the beginning of the creation, we're not talking about uh, 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 one who has been created in the beginning, but rather the origin of the beginning. All things came from him. He is uh, the origin or the source of creation. That's who he is. Talking about Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In a minute, we're going to see why is all that important. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so Jesus Christ here, he's talking about, he's introducing Jesus Christ to us, the one who's writing the letter. And he says, hey, Jesus has a letter that I'm writing to you. There's an introduction here. And so this morning, once again, I'm asking us, write a circle around ourselves and ask this question. If Jesus Christ were to write me a letter today, the one who is omniscient, he knows everything. He doesn't just know my deeds. He knows why I do what I do. I don't even know that. <laughs> you, ever, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there are times when you do stuff and you say, man, that was the stupidest thing. I don't understand why in the world I did that. That was dumb. I don't know why I did it. God does. He, he knows the motives of my heart. He knows the deeds that I do. Everything. Not only is he omniscient, he's omnipresent. I never, I never leave his all-seeing eye. 
If he were to write me today, if he were to write you today, would it be a letter filled with commendation or would it be a letter filled with correction? How would he write? So to the church at Laodicea, he's writing. And we're introduced to the writer and he begins and he writes really a letter of correction to the church of the last days. And he says this, I know your deeds in verse number 15 and following. I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. And I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind. And naked. And then he goes on from there. But he's talking about this letter of correction. He says, You have a twofold problem. Basically, you have a twofold problem. And what the twofold problem is is spiritual indifference, number one. Spiritual indifference is the first one. And secondly, spiritually ignorant. You don't even know that you're sick. And that's a dangerous place to be, by the way. That I don't know that I'm sick. And so, and so he's writing. And he says, Man, you're, you're nausea and you're sickening. Nausea. Nausea is about the worst thing. <laughs> you know, everybody in this room's dealt with that somewhere along the way. I remember going to Jamaica one time, and uh, and you know when you're getting coached up when you're going to Jamaica, they were saying, you know, just know this: the people of Jamaica are incredibly generous, and they will be generous, and you make sure that you receive it graciously, no matter what it is. And so we landed one night in Jamaica, and uh, and we got on these vans going inland, and 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 I happened to be sitting on a seat backwards on this van, and we were going up and down through the mountains and back and forth, and 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 I just like got sick to my stomach, and uh, we happened to come to a house halfway to where we were going to be staying, and uh, and 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 I just needed something to drink, and 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 the, and, and the host and hostess were so gracious they gave us something to drink, but I'm telling you, as soon as it hit my lips, it was lukewarm, and it just made me like, like having a moment, and I had to run outside. And it just made me sick there. And it's one of the sickest moments I've ever had. And I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. And can you imagine Jesus Christ saying, Hey, listen, I know your deeds and you really have made me nauseous, ready to vomit. Your life. That's what he's saying to this church. Saying spiritual indifference. How does that work? How does that happen? It manifests itself. When you're talking about spiritual indifference, it manifests itself in our deeds, he says, I know your deeds. I see what you're doing. Why do you do what you do? Because, man, I have a problem. What is the problem? What is it that leads us to this lukewarm state? Well, if you, if you knew the community, if you knew the, the, the one to whom he's writing, Laodicea, Laodicea, listen, Laodicea was a part of what we would call, we would refer to as a tri-city area. And so in the tri-city area of Laodicea, they had another city named Colossae. Colossae had their cold springs. They had a reputation for cold springs. People would travel to Colossae so that they could get fresh cold, clear spring water. If you've never swam deep into a spring and just opened your mouth and drank it, you need to try it sometime. And uh, spring water, cold in Colossae. 
There was another town named Hierapolis. Hierapolis had hot springs. And these hot springs uh, uh, were, were a place where people would go for some healing to take place. They would get into these hot springs. Laodicea didn't have springs. They built an incredible aqueduct system, bringing the water down to the town of Laodicea. By the time the water reached Laodicea, the water would become lukewarm. It's no longer cold and refreshing, and it's no longer hot and therapeutic. But instead, it's just lukewarm. What was the problem? The problem was they were separated from the source. And he's saying, spiritually speaking, we can become separated from the source. We sometimes find ourselves no longer abiding in Jesus Christ. That's why John writes in John chapter 15, verses number 5 and 6. John 15, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says it like this. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide, in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. In other words, here's what happens to us if we're not careful. We can get separated from the source, and as a result, it manifests itself in our deeds. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. And so what does that look like, practically speaking, when our deeds, when our deeds, what kind of deeds are we talking about? Well, there's a lot of different applications on that point. Like, for example, what happens when a pastor, sometimes pastors, sometimes pastors, Get lukewarm. And so they no longer preach with passion. They're just a, a, a moderate-mannered man, just a mild-mannered man that's just saying, I want to teach you how to be a mild-mannered person, when the fact of the matter is people might be one heartbeat from hell, and we need to preach with some unction. God, anoint the preaching. And a lot of times we don't have that. A lot of times we don't have that. The singing, the singing, when we gather together for singing, it needs to be singing that edifies and lifts up and magnifies the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we sing. And I'm thankful to God for our worship leaders at our church because we make sure that it's doctrinally sound. At the end of the day, it's not about what I want to hear and what you want to hear, but what does he want to hear? And the church today is plagued because we just have this consumer mentality. And if they're not singing my kind of song, then I'm just not moved and I ain't going to sing. And the fact of the matter is, we're not singing to you. Mark didn't prepare this week. We love you. <laughs> but the singing needs to be consumed with Jesus it needs to be, listen, it needs to be anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18, don't be, don't be uh, uh, drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And then it goes on from there into verse number 19. It says, singing to one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It says the, the singing needs to be anointed, just like the preaching. And by the way, it's not just what happens on the platform that matters. I mean, this, this, this separation manifests itself in our deeds. What are our deeds? The things we do as believers in Jesus Christ. Are we singing with all of our hearts to him? He sees my heart. Would he write a letter of commendation? I mean, I, I like what he said a minute ago. He said, you know, to sing a song, to sing. It's, it's, it's not about whether or not I can sing, but is there a song in my heart? To sing. To get into God's Word. 
I mean, we're living in a day. You know what happens to us? We separate from the source. We separate from the source. We no longer get into God's Word. God's Word is a, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. And sometimes we live life with the light off. I mean, we're living in a day where I'm desperate for truth. Serious. If you're getting your truth from, you name it, whatever news source, or Facebook... <laughs> examination question for us. Examination question for us. Do I spend as much time in God's Word as I do in front of the news? Whatever your source might be? And we wonder why my, my soul is so stirred up. God help us to stay connected through reading God's Word, through prayer. Through sharing with others, I think about how indifferent we become when we have loved ones, when we have family members, when we have co-workers that are literally one heartbeat from hell and we don't even pray, we don't even share. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And he's just basically saying, hey, listen, how in the world, how in the world, how in the world can the perishing hear unless we share? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How will they be saved unless somebody speaks? And the church, if we're not careful, can become spiritually complacent. Mediocre, apathetic, lukewarm. I mean, it manifests itself in so many different ways when you're looking at life. God help us. I mean, our, 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 even, even the gathering together. I mean, the gathering together. Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not forsake the, the assembling together as some are in habit of doing, but let us continue so that we might stimulate one another, encourage one another to good works. Again, we're talking about Jesus Christ writing a letter to me. He knows my heart. He knows why I even came today. Let me ask the brothers and sisters a question this morning. Did you come so that you might stimulate somebody else to good works? Because that's what he says. I want you to do. I want you to stimulate one another. I want you to encourage one another. God, help us. Help us. So he's writing, and he says, hey, because you say, verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And when we become separated from the source and we become lukewarm, he spits us out of his mouth. You know what happens to a, a believer that's, that's lukewarm and, and really does sicken the stomach of our Savior? Why, why is it that that's a big issue for him? I mean, that's a good question, why is it that that's such a big issue for him? And, and I believe this to be true. I, I believe it's, it's a big issue because it, it really, it does two things that are terrible. Number one <clears throat> is it'll be a stumbling block for the church. It'll be a stumbling block for other believers. Do you realize that you and I influence people? A lot of people justify why they do what they do because of you. That happens in the home. I mean, my, you know, your kids do what they do a lot of times because you do what you do. 
<laughs> because I do what I do. Sometimes I do it in spite of you, but sometimes it's because of. And God, help us understand that, man, uh, we, have, we have a weight that we carry. And God, help my life not to be a stumbling block for other believers, not to cause God's little ones to stumble along the way. That's serious business. Rather, rather have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the lake than deal with the Father when you're causing His little ones to stumble. So what we do in the life of the church, it, it, it causes others to stumble. But then number two, what about lost people? When, when, you know, we get, we get, we're the greatest stumbling block in this world for lost people. I mean, they look at the life of a believer, and, 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 and man, if we leave the church, if we leave the church, and maybe today you're going out, and man, you're coming by, and you know, just have a sour attitude, and you know, where you been today? Well, I've been at church. <laughs> man, I don't want what you got. <laughs> or, or just interactions with people. Is our language, are our actions seasoned with grace and truth and mercy? Or do we live life like the rest of the world? No different. Jesus said, you're the salt of the world. And if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. John's writing says, man, when the church becomes lukewarm, it, it's disgusting to the Savior. It's disgusting. Basically, it's saying, I could, I could give more. But 10 cents to the dollar is a bit too much. How arrogant is that to Jesus Christ? I could share more. I could be more. God's gifted me to sing, but I don't care to sing. I, I could be more. You know, what, you know what basically that's saying when we're living in that land between our performance and our potential? You, you know what that's saying? I could be more, but it ain't, you're not worth it. He says, it disgusts me for a person to get to that point, spiritually speaking. Lukewarm. I'd rather spew you out of my mouth than to have you in that situation, in that condition. God help us. Aren't you thankful that we have a Savior that doesn't leave us where he corrects us, but instead he gives us some counsel? And that's what he does in this letter. He continues to write. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire <clears throat> so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve uh, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And he's just writing and he's just simply saying, hey, the sources of your security to the Laodiceans, uh, when you're talking about the land of Laodicea, they had a banking industry upon which they rested. In fact, they were very proud of their little banking industry uh, that they had set up and established. <clears throat> He's saying, that's the source of your security rather than me. The wool in your land. There were, there were actually black sheep, and they would make black fabric out of special. They're very proud. It was a source of security for them. 
They're medically, they created their eye salve. And so it was a source of security. Look at what we've done. And he says, oh, that's all fine and good, but can I tell you something? That ought not to be your source of security. And the question for us today would be, what is my source of security? Is it Jesus Christ? I mean, that's the reason why Jesus Christ, when he was talking, said, man, it's, it's more difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's not saying it can't be done, but it's saying it takes a miracle. Why? Because, man, when we get comfortable, when we get comfortable, oftentimes it leads to spiritual compromise. Because I can take care of myself. My source of strength, my source of sufficiency is my bank account. It's my retirement account. Everything's good. Do you know that can be gone in an instant? Jesus is saying, I want to be your source of security. Trust me. Trust me. He's writing just saying, hey, listen, come to me. Come to me for your security. And that's what he's doing. He's just writing and letting them know. He says, make sure in verse number 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. In other words, he's just simply saying, hey, to be zealous means to be hot. To boil. You need to be relit. Make sure you repent and be relit. He says, you guys are spiritually ignorant. He says, first of all, you're indifferent. But secondly, you're, 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 you're ignorant. I don't need anything. I don't see it. I don't see the need. What does, that, what does that look like practically? I don't see the need. Here's what that looks like. Just, just on a practical level, this happens oftentimes. And if you've ever said this, it does. let me just throw it out there. Here's what I hear a lot of times. And that was a good sermon today. I don't hear that much, but anyways. That was a good sermon today. I sure wish mm, we're here to hear that one. And do you know, I just have a confession to make. And this is honest to goodness. My question is, I mean, maybe they weren't here, but what did you hear today? Because all of us sometimes are guilty. You know, we hear something and say, man, I wish they could have heard that one. Well, maybe that was for your ears from God. And I missed it because I don't see my need. And so I would encourage you, God, God, open my eyes. Open up my heart. Speak to me today. Speak to me today. I mean, God's word, James says it's like a mirror. And in all sincerity, nobody this morning, nobody this morning went into your bathroom and looked in your mirror and said, hey, uh, I'm going to fix my wife up if you're a husband. <laughs> No, I didn't look in that mirror and say, I, I, no, I'm going to go brush Bonnie's hair because I see it. <laughs> no, God's word, God's word. I don't go to God's word and say, oh, let me, let me look at them. Let me look at them. But rather, God speak, let me see me. Help me. But when the church becomes lukewarm, an individual, or the church, we see everybody else's problems but our own. When we see our own, we repent. He's saying, make sure you repent. Make sure you repent. The Bible says in verse number 20, we have a call. Behold, I stand at the door 
and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just the call of Christ. The Bible says in John 6, in verse number 44, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me has drawn him. What do you mean? That means this, that whenever I got saved, I mean, I was, I was in a room, and I've shared my story before. I was in a room, very back row, and heard the gospel being preached, and the Holy Spirit of God. I'm talking about, I, I was born and raised in church, and, and, and I knew the facts. I, I knew the facts, but I didn't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I had never been born again. And I was at the back. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit of God took the message from God and, and, and he knocked on the door of my heart. In a still, small voice, he whispered my name. And what he's saying, this text is saying, is this. Jesus Christ says, hey, I want to come into your heart and bring heaven with me. I want intimacy with you. I want some good times. I want to party with you. I want to have a celebration with you. I want to sup with you. I want to hang with you. And you know what hinders that in the life of a believer? Sin. Sin. John says, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And this morning, I'm just encouraging you because, man, God wants to have fellowship with you, intimacy, where it's a rich relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you are saved today, maybe you're here and you would say, man, I really have been missing out on that rich fellowship. Invite him. Search my heart, God. Is there an area in my life, is there an area in my life that I'm holding back? And repent. Whatever he shows, repent. And we have a Savior that says, man, you repent and we will have times of refreshing in my presence, brothers and sisters. But for some this morning, maybe you're here and you've never been born again. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he loves you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn this world, but that the world through him might be saved. He laid down his life, paid the price for your sin and my sin because the Bible says all of us have sinned. We have a problem. Our sin separates us from Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus came and paid the price for me and for you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you've never called on his name, I'm inviting you today. I'm not saying be religious. I'm saying have a relationship. You call on his name today. Would you do me a favor this morning? Join me for a time of prayer. We're going to pray, and after we pray, we'll sing a song. And right after that song, we, I'll be down front. We'll have others down front if you'd like to pray or talk to somebody. But I just want to encourage you this morning where you are. Man, would you invite 
Jesus to search your heart this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, God. Because I don't want to make my Savior sick to his stomach. I want to be pleasing. Father, this morning, please search our hearts. Oh, God, search our minds. You're all-knowing. You're all-seeing. And Father, I am so thankful today for your mercy, for your love, for your grace. Oh, God, thank you for your gentleness. Lord, I pray today that you'd search our hearts, that you'd have your way. God, I pray for those that may be here, whether they be in service or online. Some may, Father, have never been born again, never been saved. God, I pray that you would bring to life where there's no life today. Knock, Father, knock. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.